0: .NET Rocks episode 902, with guest Chris Williams. Recorded live Thursday, August 8th, 2013.
1: This episode is brought to you by Telerik. Offering the best in developer tools and support. And by Franklin's .NET, makers of Gesture Pack, a powerful gesture recording and recognition system for Microsoft Connect for Windows developers. Details at GesturePAK.com.
2: And now, here are Carl and Richard. Thank you very much. Welcome back to Don and Rocks. Carl and Richard, it's all good. It's all good. How are you, man? Oh, it's coming into the end of summer, finally. I'm
1: not complaining. Summer's been really awesome, but... I'm looking at the fall and saying, my friend, we are going to be very, very busy.
2: Yeah, you just keep piling stuff on, too, don't you? We call, because staying home is boring. <laughs> Let's go places. Oh, we're talking about road trips. We're talking about uh, NDC in December in London. Yep. So we're gonna, there's going to be some UK time and I can't tell you all of it, but there will be some UK
1: time. Definitely the Norwegian Developers Conference, the first week of December happening. Uh, DevReach, Bulgaria, first yeah. week of October right. happening, but there's some time in between those two things. So
2: well, and in Dev Intersection in October and. You know, our listeners get fifty bucks off. If they yeah, register. Yeah, absolutely. With... Type in .netrocks rocks as
1: the promo code. Fifty bucks off. It's all good. Yeah, Dev Intersection. And that's the last week of October, just before uh, Halloween. That's at the MGM Grand. It, yes, indeed, it is. Which is an awesome place, Vegas. Yeah, we're gonna have a ton of fun. And I just finished tweaking the roster, all the all the content after taking what happened at Build and going over it and talking to some folks. So got everything right up to date. It's a it's a great lineup. Some of the best speakers you'll see anywhere. Yep,
2: content at Dev Intersection is always great, and everybody seems to love it. I realize it's yours and mine friends for the most part. Yeah. All right. Hey, better know framework time. so what do you got buddy well I found this uh, you know I like to talk on a robotics show I like to talk about the internet of things the internet of things you know what that is right Uh, That's yeah I think it's going to be a geek out one of these days yeah that's the term for connecting devices to the internet and instead of hitting websites you hit things you you have things that are available on the internet that you just program against and, and communicate with and so there's this company that has their own cloud platform as a service uh, platform, right? And they're all about the Internet of Things, and it's Xively, X-I-V-E-L-Y.com. I have never heard of them before. They're not an advertiser or anything, but I just thought I looked at their showcase and I looked at all of their, the, the things that they have going on, and that's cool stuff. So, again, don't know anything about the company, don't know what it costs, I have no idea, but it looks pretty cool. Cool. Really interesting. Something to dig
1: into here. Yeah. We do, I'm, and definitely the Internet of Things is on my list of stuff we need to geek out
2: to at some point. Yep, absolutely. So, you know, especially when we're talking about robotics, we're talking about devices and if they're going to communicate uh, in the cloud and what they have access to all around the world. Yep. And maybe outside the world. Who For knows? sure. Who knows? So, Richard, who's talking to us? Hey, I grabbed a comment off of show
1: 888. Wow. Yeah, nice number. That was the one we did with uh, G. Andrew Duffy talking about .NET Gadgeteer. Speaking of the Internet of Things. Yeah, speaking of the Internet Things and gadgets and all this fun stuff, this comment comes from Brian Smithson, who says, Carl and Richard, man, I love these geek outs. I'm a software guy, but I love dabbling in the hardware. I haven't done much since my basic stamp projects. Oh. Holy cow, dude, you're old. But I definitely know how Andrew feels when it, quote, works. Ah. Uh, I built a really fun automated antenna switch for my ham radio station that uses a basic stamp to monitor my radio, decode the band I was on, select the right antenna, and tell my amplifier to select the right tuning parameters for that band and antenna. Cool. That is so geeky. Holy cow. <laughs> it was geeky when you said ham radio, but the fact that you have it automatically configuring your radio, that's totally <laughs> that awesome. That is cool.
2: Reminds me of those antenna rotator things we used to have in the 70s. Remember those? Like, Yeah. <laughs> turns the antenna. Yeah.
1: You know, the other thing it implies here is multiple antennas. Right. On multiple radios with multiple a- amplifiers. <laughs> I think I need a picture of this, Brian. Yeah. I'll trade you a mug for a photo. I need to see your rig. Uh, but he continues. It was amazing just to spin the knob on the radio and listen to all the clicking and worrying going on around me as everything adjusted. There are commercial projects that do it better. But boy, was that ever fun. I'll have a look at .NET Gadgeteer. Keep it up. Awesome. Dude. Brian, thanks so much for your comment. I'd love to see your rig. It sounds really cool. And I'm going to get a .NET Rocks mug out to you right away. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, just write a comment on the website at .NET or on any of our mobile apps. We've got them for iOS, Android, Windows Phone, and Win8. And those great apps were built by Diatom Enterprises, who'd love to build you an app, too.
2: All right. And before we go any further, I need to tell you that Pluralsight provides comprehensive developer training online. They have hundreds of hardcore developer training courses, uh, releasing around 40 to 45 new courses every month, offering a free 10-day trial, or 200 minutes, and a wide range of topics, including iOS, Java, Android, web development, pretty much everything on the Microsoft stack, including a great course on understanding, async, and await, in C Sharp 4.5. Try Pluralsight today. Subscription plans start at just $29 a month. With that, let us introduce our guest. Chris Williams is the creator of JSConf. That's a conference for JavaScript that happens around the entire world. He's the author of Node Serial Port and to all that has become NodeBots and helped get NodeCopter off the ground, pun intended. He produced the community logo for JS, which has become the de facto logo for the language in general, a yellow square a JS text, and is now heading up an event called RobotsConf and Robots Weekly, which is hoping to bring software and web developers into the maker movement with little risk and effort. Welcome, Chris.
0: Hi, everyone. Thank you very much for having me.
2: Wow, very cool. You get logo cred.
0: Yeah, it was uh, almost by happenstance, as it were, uh, and more by frustration than anything else. Uh, the When we first started JSConf, Uh, It was, you know, how how do you build a logo for a conference with a programming language that doesn't have a logo? Um, And so for the first, like, three years, we floundered around and tried to make our own crazy logo every year of JSConf. And we've sort of kept that as a basis for the U.S. one. Every year we come up with a different logo.
2: But um, So wait a minute. Is this the logo for the conference or the logo for JavaScript?
0: It's actually the logo for JavaScript. Uh, in JSConf EU in 2010, I, I was like, Hey, look, everyone, we need to start putting stickers and be proud of
2: the language that we write right. in. JavaScript and inside. Exactly. <laughs>
0: all inside. Uh, and it breaks and blocks. And no, um. <laughs> Yeah. And so I just threw out the logo. It was very simple. Nothing big. uh, No designers came around. uh, Just something very simple, pristine and clear
2: that that sort of represents JavaScript. A little bit of yellow to give you some caution. Right. (laughs) The blank. The blank screen you're experiencing brought to you by JavaScript. Right.
0: <laughs> Script took too long. Just wait. Please wait. We ran through a whole bunch of ideas exactly like that. Uh, someone told us it wasn't a good idea to make fun of the language that you oh, were right actually now. trying to represent. But yeah. we 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 decided to be good and so we left the yellow caution tape all around it. Ah. And uh, it's it's a it's just a simple logo that we made um open source. Uh, creative commons available and let anyone do what they want with it. And that was a huge benefit because what ended up happening is all the local user groups uh, took that very simple logo, modified the background color, modified the text color. Some of them added the flag over top of the state that they were in and made it their own. So by creating sort of a, a community-driven logo, we were actually to create a, able to create a logo that the community could use for all different things. Um, it's, I think the only programming language at this point that has stuff that came organically up through the community to do a logo for everybody and is not encumbered by trademarks and ownership and all these other things, Mm -hmm. um, just done out of the generosity and love of people doing it.
2: Okay. So let's talk about your introduction to the maker movement.
0: Yes. Uh, that's. It's kind of a weird story, and it was funny to hear you guys talk about the uh, Internet of Things in the beginning. Um, the company that I work for at this point does a lot of Internet of Things. There's a whole bunch of people out there uh, doing it. Um, you mentioned X-Lively. There's also Electric Imp, which has the same sort of um, paths for its own system, which is a diff- a way of doing it. There's also things like spark core that are built on top of the arduino um the arduino which has sort of become the hardware base the uh the wonderful microcontroller that everybody uses just because it's open source and cost effective Mm -hmm. it's kind of hard to beat 30 dollar hardware uh you can see the blue smoke monster anytime you want (laughs) and not flip out that oh my god i got to go buy a whole new crazy amount of money investment into it uh so you buy them in
1: packs of 12 with barbecue sauce (laughs)
0: <laughs> the barbecue sauce does cost extra uh, if you go up from just the, the sweet version. So oh,
2: that's my joke, Richard. Nice. <laughs>
0: I, I got into it doing the Internet of Things. I was trying to do a uh, sort of a reverse engineer of one of the various proprietary wireless protocols. And it required to sit on the serial bus and listen to the communication going back and forth and identify basically – Straight signals intelligence. Figure out mm-hmm. if I send this signal down the wire, it sends the signal back and does this action out here. So I wrote a thing called Node Serial Port, which you did all this work in Node.js, so that way I could write JavaScript applications and web front ends very quickly from the low level stack at the serial level all the way up to the front end piece in the browser and be able to view it and analyze it that way, much like a a Wireshark would do or Etherreal, but just
2: straight serial communication. So, node serial port, we're not talking, like, with a serial cable serial port, are we? Uh, yes and or no. are we talking uh, USB cables? We're
0: talking USB, which the S and USB, for some reason everyone's forgotten, is stands for serial. Uh, uh, the RS-232 connection has sort of gone the way of the Dodo, but a lot of the lower capacity microcontrollers, like the one that's embedded in the Arduino, they use uh, FTDI hookups that allow it to act like and look like an RS-232 connection. Versus having to go through the hellacious world that is actual USB and the HID and all the other crazy stuff yeah there. so
2: you know we should talk a little bit about that because i've done some usb programming and yeah you know you think you think i i would start with you know the serial port stuff in.net and you know oh i'll just open up a port okay what port oh you know what i used to do this stuff you would look and you know you'd connect com1 or com2 or maybe even com3 or com4 they were numbered and you open them by number you know and then, and now with usb it's kind of like well gee How does that happen? So, so they came up with this human interface device API, HID, which doesn't work for all USB devices, right? That's not all USB devices are HID compatible.
0: That is correct. Um, and that's where the FTDI drivers come in handy. What they do is they create a virtual COM port. So Mm -hmm. it, it, you gave a perfect intro to it. Um, the original system was actually wonderful. People uh, were able to understand it. A, a device came online and it was mapped to uh, an entry point or a mount point from mm-hmm. the Unix world. And that mount point was what you used to talk to it through. Um, right. In the Windows world, it was com ports and they were named and numbered com X through A. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Uh, in a very uniform number sequence. And in fact, that's what the FTDI drivers do. They take the HID data and they map it down to a virtual COM port so it presents like a standard COM port, um, which allows you to utilize, let's say, older technologies, but in a modern sort of
2: era. I think I used the uh, USB Sharp uh, library. Uh, That's what I ended up using. I had some fun with this. Essentially, I wrote an interface... uh, from my wife's uh, pedal that she uses for transcription, or she used to use it for transcription. And essentially this is a standard tool, like anybody who does medical transcription or whatever, they have a pedal. And the pedal is connected via USB, and it has a few buttons on it. The big button in the middle just plays uh, audio while you're holding it down. So you lift your foot up, and it stops playing. You put your foot down, it plays again. And then there's a button on the left to rewind a few seconds or something like that. So I had a lot of fun with this. I I basically built this app, a Windows app that uh, allowed her to do because the stuff that came with the pedal wasn't good enough. Or she couldn't figure it out or it was too complex or whatever. So I was like, Yeah, I'll write you one of those. And I had a I had a good time doing it. But in, along the way I learned about HID and the differences between, you know, standard USB and human interface devices. So so are these gadgets that are connected to the Internet of Things and your robots and all of that, are they HID compatible?
0: Um, most of the ones that we're doing through Arduino in a thing called NodeBots, and although it's called NodeBots now because it started in Node.js land, they're not limited by any stretch to just Node.js. We have uh, NodeBots, the, the idea... Uh, The amorphous idea of nodebots in .NET, we have it in Java, we have it also in Ruby and Python. Mm -hmm. Um, It's this idea of taking the complexities and and the buggery that happens at that hid slash uh, USB slash serial port level and abstracting it up to a very simplistic and easy to understand composable API that looks and feels very similar to what you would use to create an interactive web page. Um, the concept, as I sort of I thought of it early on, was um, programming robots and programming the real world should be as simple, if not simpler, than programming a web page. Right. And if you think about the way that you program a web page with the evented structure and creating and storing callbacks, It's very similar to how we interact with the real world. Things don't block the entire environment. Things don't, you know, hold off on other different pieces. It's sort of a, I'm going to set this whole scenario up. And then as things happen, the scenarios, other scenarios interact and and
2: are triggered. Now, once you start introducing like the cloud and HTTP abstractions and stuff, aren't you slowing down the, the, or making difficult the possibility to do sort of real-time control?
0: uh you do and you don't um one you it's deterministic on the speed of bandwidth of course so if you're going over a, a 3g modem yes you're going to have some latency in there but generally speaking the time it takes for a servo to do a, a sweep across You know, 50% of its radius is going to be a lot longer than it takes for a single UDP packet to go back and forth. So, yes, there is a possibility of non real time connectivity, but depends upon, it depends upon the use case. I wouldn't want to be necessarily driving a, um, a surgical equipment robot through a web interface
2: across the world without some sort of better constraints on it. I just find that UDP programming is drop dead easy. I mean, I don't, anybody who's ever written to a file or to streams can do it. You know, if you just have a, a pretty good standard sample to start from. I just to don't UDP? See, yeah, I just don't see it that, that big a deal. But, you know, all, all, the, all the web programmers are like, why would you do that? You know, how, wow, my God, you're pretty, knocking your head against the wall. But just, uh, ironically, it's not that difficult.
0: That's the same pushback I get with serial port programming. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So I think it's one of these that uh, newer kids on the block, as they say, uh, and and I may sound like an old man in his yard shouting at all the new kids, but uh, Mm. we seem to do this regularly as developers. We forget the history and the legacy and the benefits that may be present in it. Uh, UDP has wonderful uses. So does serial have wonderful uses, um, assuming they're in the right use case. Um, and both of the, you know, both of them have different use cases, but they both have this other dominant aspect that has taken over the, their world and gone from there. Um, and at some point it's sometimes better to go back and look at it if just to relearn the pieces. And ironically, that's what we're trying to do with RobotsConf from Robots Weekly and the whole NodeBots thing is there's a whole group that have done the robotics and roboticists from the JPL and the robotics operating system of ROS uh, and the real-time RTOSs that are out there. RTOSs? Uh, real-time operating system, RTOS. Okay. Cool. Um, those people look with disdain and down their nose at these people doing NodeBots. Oh, I'll just import JavaScript and magically have robots. And while that is a perspective, the other way to look at it is this is a fresh set of eyes that come with a different set of ideas and different set of thoughts and questions and go about problem sets with a different set of historical backing. And so I I love to see the fusion of those two where instead of it coming in of I'm going to burn the house down, it's, hey, that's a great house. I can help you make it even better. Mm-hmm. And uh I love seeing that overlap and collaboration and growth going forward, and so it, it's it's funny that you bring up UDP because I think it's the same thing. I think the, the lessons from UDP are going to be vital, uh, especially the ones that were lost mm. um, in like improving the web and making the web go fast. You see, it's people just all raw,
2: raw communication. That's all there's to it.
0: Raw communication without the sync, ack, synack back and forth, right. and. Uh, the packet weight and the headers and all the other stuff stuff. that are unnecessary just to get something that's a a lossless format across.
1: Well, you know, the same reason that we got into memory managed and virtual machine oriented programming, uh, I think it's coming to robots for exactly those same reasons that, that we're having enough resources now and we want to be able to do more, more quickly so we can afford uh, a little bit of latency and a little bit of overhead because we've got that processing power. But uh, we get to be able to do a lot more with a lot fewer lines of code.
0: I think that's spot on. And, and that's sort of why I like working at this with higher level languages like uh, Ruby, Perl, Python. .NET and Java, because the developer can now think about higher-level constructs what, rather than worrying about go to line one or what line was it that I had to go back to or any of the, the lower-level things. We've gotten to this wonderful abstraction level. And on top of that, there was also, in the past 10 years, both the virtualization, so we now have understanding about how to manage higher-level constructs in, in much broader and greater depth and, and breadth. But also there's the greater willingness and availability of sharing of resources and information. Um, the, it cannot be understated how valuable the willingness of individuals to share and collaborate through resources like GitHub or Thingiverse or any of these other mediums uh, is to the overall success and growth of any next-generation
2: technology stack or situation. Chris, tell us about robots.conf. And robots weekly what what's robotsconf
0: so robots conf is uh, sort of a crazy idea that I had I seem to get these quite regularly unfortunately um, going from what we did with Js conf when with where when we started Jsconf and we being my wife and I uh, it was I it came out of the urge to go to a JavaScript conference and at the time uh, 19 or 2008, there weren't that many JavaScript conferences, just pure JavaScript focused conferences out there. And I stupidly got the idea that, Hey, I'm going to fill this void by mm. doing this. That was a horrible idea. I shouldn't have listened to myself and just gone about my life and would have been possibly better
2: off. <laughs> I would have been different off.
0: Wouldn't oh, have man. had much story. Stress.
2: Story of my life. You're, yes. you're, you're telling here. <laughs>
0: They, when, when they tell you go take a risk, they never tell you that you got to care and feed for that risk for the rest of eternity.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, the, so that, that same sort of thing I saw with the serial port and the rise of NodeBots. And as it, it starts taking off uh, through NodeCopter events where people come together and they hack on drones. And uh, our NodeBots day that we have where people come together and they hack on Arduino kits and build robots that move around the room. Mm -hmm. You see a strong tendency in multiple development communities towards building stuff in the real world. And so I sort of been thinking about it for a good bit and realized that part of what we miss as software developers is that aspect of creating something real, creating something we can touch and hold and show to people. And they don't think we're just crazy because we made clouds happen and they don't know what we're talking about Um the real world and affecting the real world and and the whole internet of things idea is something that's so absolutely amazing but at the same time so absolutely scary to software and web developers we did a training course and this led to robotsconf uh was probably the biggest push towards it we did a training course about how to do robotic programming with javascript and I, I asked the question, how many people in the room think that this 9-volt battery, if if they cross a wire, they're going to erupt in flames? And everyone raised their hand. They were all afraid <laughs> of being electrocuted because of a 9-volt battery. And what I realized at that moment is that we've become so disconnected from the even the low-level stuff that we use every day that, that it's a scary proposition. I don't know where to get started. I'm worried I'm going to blow up an LED when... You know, the cost of an LED is so insignificant. I don't care if I blow up an LED, <laughs> um, but that's different uh, to a software developer who's never touched an Arduino and never touched an LED. There's We've been abstracted above it, so we're scared of it. And so what I want to do is I want to tear down that wall and bring the software and web development world with its unique perspective and understanding back into building the hardware for one The fulfillment aspect that people have when they change the real world, um, when they do things that scratch their own itch in the real world, and to see how that works out. Uh, We've had wonderful projects and wonderful objects that come out of every day we do this. At JSConf, we had a, a day dedicated to... I'll say like a choose your own adventure and a hundred people got together and hacked on Arduinos and they created a surface to air missile launcher that shot down a quadcopter out of the oh, sky. So great. Um, yeah. It, people create amazing things and so. I get I guess
2: what you're saying is that it's not just a conference where people go to sessions and watch stuff and demos and things, but it, there's a big hands-on aspect to it.
0: Oh, very much. Uh, That's actually the whole focus. It's a completely different conference model than what any other conference has done. And I do that with all the conferences I do. I try to do something that's distinct and unique from everything else. Uh, We're going to have Visionary lectures bookending the the conference, and then we have workshops set up where everybody in the conference is going to be forced through every workshop. So, but you come showing up knowing nothing about the Internet of Things or how circuits work or or what a three D printer is, and you leave being able to be fluent and and articulate and hopefully construct something in all of those different domains. And so the way I look at it is you could spend seven days, 10 days surveying the entire maker movement roughly on the internet, or you can come for these two days and get a really quick deep dive with friends who are in the same boat as you and build stuff and hack on stuff and, and, get to touching things and making the world change with the actual experts who are doing this day to day and have that captive uh, assistance there to help you and leave being able to just go home and change the world and start your own maker shed if you want to. But it's really a different sort of, it's not sitting lectures, it's getting your hands dirty and getting in there and, and working to change the actual uh, world and your own view of the
1: world and what you can accomplish. So labs, not sessions.
0: Labs, not sessions. Uh, More focused on labs. And everyone who comes is going to be leaving with, you know, an Arduino and enough kit to get them home and do stuff, assuming that the TSA doesn't get all worried about it. And, uh, be able to build robots from there. And as we learned with JSConf, the biggest thing is actually not even the sessions or the labs. It's the friends that you end up making there because all the other people there are interested in the exact same thing. And that community just grows and helps each other. And that's, that's the best part of the whole thing is the
1: human side. I think, you know, if you're not making the TSA worried, you're not trying hard enough.
0: (laughs) I didn't say they're not worried. I just said, I hope that everyone gets home with their, uh, their Arduinos without too many questions.
1: You know, you reminded me of a story from high school. You talk about bra- you know, damaging LEDs. I made an LED gun.
0: How'd you pull I, that off?
1: Uh, it turns out if you pass 110 volts at high frequency through an LED, you vaporize the metal uh, uh, anode and it will actually <laughs> blow the cap off of the LED. You're and evil I, so man. I put it in a rifle barrel and I could fire it about 200 feet.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Scary, uh, but awesome.
1: Yeah. And it, and it left a nice smoke trail too. So it was built in <laughs> tracer.
0: Very cool.
1: I may have been a geek, but nobody messed with me.
0: <laughs> you and your LEDs. You were you were like the the uh, you're gonna shoot your eye out <laughs> but with LEDs. Yeah.
1: Hey Richard, you know what time it is? Oh, it must be that happy time again.
2: That's right. It's time to activate the hundred and fifty P shooting node bots that I hid near the TSA checkpoint. <laughs> Excuse me, i got to send a text message right here. There you go. You're going to jail.
1: <laughs>
0: don't worry, you don't have to send a text message. The NSA already knows.
2: Ah, uh, <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> no, it's time to give away a Telerik DevCraft complete collection to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. This is everything Telerik does in one box. And uh, before we do that, let me tell you about Telerik Test Studio. It's an automated testing tool that offers a codeless and productive way to test any application. AJAX, Silverlight, WPF, MVC, Ruby, Java. Test Studio seamlessly integrates with Microsoft TFS to simplify the collaboration among QAs and developers. In addition, it can also interact with any other file-based control system. Want to give it a try? Download a free 30 day trial at Telerik.com slash DNR testing. All right. Who's our winner, Bub? Today's winner of the Telerik DevCraft Complete Collection is Andrew Hansen.
1: Ah, congratulations, Andrew. Golf clap for you. Golf
2: clap for Andrew. Yes. The clappers
1: are gone. The clappers
2: are gone. No, they'll, they'll be back. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, and, uh, this is everything that Telerik does in one box, as I said before. It's a $2,000 value. Telerik, of course, is a longtime sponsor and partner of Rocks. We are also giving away a Franklin Brothers CD, Lifeboat to Nowhere. This is our 2011. I wouldn't say it's a debut because we did another CD in 1999. Right. But we took a long time to get this right. And uh, it's good groovy tunes if you're a fan of classic rock. And you like, uh, you know, Billy Joel, Steely Dan, Eagles, good harmonies, great uh, horn lines, and some funky stuff. You'll like it. Today's awesome. Winner, Who's our winner? Today's winner is Jason Sherman.
1: Congratulations, Jason. There CD on its way to you. And
2: if you want to just pick that up, go to iTunes or Amazon and just search for Franklin Brothers, Lifeboat to Nowhere. It's good stuff. Cool. And if you don't know what we're talking about, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button. Answer a few questions and join the fan club. We have thousands of members and we give away stuff. And every show, every December, we give away $5,000 worth of stuff, mm-hmm. technology to one lucky member. But you got to be a member to get it. And we like to ask our guests, and this ought to be fun. Chris, if yep. you had $5,000 to spend right now on technology, what would you buy? I would buy a
0: school.
1: <laughs>
0: I'd buy a, a school, school for tribe. five
2: grand? That's cheap. Where uh, no
0: well no I I'd, I'd figure out I I dump it into education um I I would dump it into actual good computer science education especially at younger levels I think uh I, I'd buy little bits uh, kits and throw it into every single kindergarten class
2: I know that's yeah, the cool. world's worst craziest answer but uh well, no about, it speaks to your motivation to uh to get people thinking about technology
0: yeah um. It's it, it, that's a fun question. What do, what actually do most people say with that? Do they say they just pocket it?
2: You know, no, no. In fact, a lot of people say, "Oh, I never really thought about that before." But uh, when they have thought about it, usually it's you know a few tablets, maybe a TV, a three a, a D printer is a popular one. Um, you know. It
1: really speaks to the technology you don't have. Uh, I think we've had a couple of times recently folks talking about uh, how about a 4K monitor? Right. You know, the new, which is the, you know, another up and coming technology. But yeah, it goes all over the map. You never know what's going to happen. We have given one of these away uh, last December and it was Rob Corbett who was the winner. And uh, we put together a few different packages and basically said like, which package would you like? Uh him not knowing he was gonna win it, we just suggested you know, if you did win this, which package would you like? And it, and what he wanted was a development environment for building touch and gesture applications in Windows eight. Right. So big Windows eight machine, dual screens, one of them touch, a connect, like all the stuff he needed. Mm. It turns out if you spend five grand on a computer, you can build one heck of a computer. You can build a nice computer these days, yeah. Yep. It's a whopper. But uh yeah, really a fun exercise for us and a and a great gift. I think one of the other ones we priced out was Turns out for about 5,000 bucks, you can buy one of every tablet and phone.
2: Except now we have the uh, the Nokia Lumia 1020. Yeah, yeah, it turns out you can't buy one of those. <laughs> I mean, that's like what, 700 bucks right there, right?
1: If you buy it without a contract. Yeah, yeah, if
2: you buy it without a contract.
1: But yeah, you know, it's really interesting to see what gear people are focused on. Uh, I presume you already have a 3D printer, Chris.
0: I do have a 3D printer.
1: Um, are you a MakerBot guy?
0: I, I got the MakerBot Replicator 2 and I got it mainly because uh, I just had, uh, I just, I just had a, like, it, like it just appeared. I, um, we just gave birth to my son a little bit ago and knowing that that was on the horizon and have the conference teed up, I needed something I could just have and start going. From there versus building it on my own. One of my good friends in the area, he built his own MakerBot or his own 3D printer. Um, And it's one of those that that's a huge time and money investment. And it's scary because if something breaks, you're kind of, kind of SOL, or if you forget to put one screw in, you're SOL. So for what I was trying to accomplish, which was printing stuff, not building the printer. I decided to go down the rep two path and just get it so that way I can start printing stuff. And the thing has been spitting plastic since the day I got it and nonstop constantly going. Um, I've printed out everything from a mobile for my newborn son to toys for my daughter to just gifts for people. Um, it's, it is the future. It realistically, it's like living in back to the future when they walk up and say like pizza, please. and and a
2: pizza pops out. Yeah, it's um, getting there. Have you heard about KeyMe, which is an iPhone uh, app that you take a picture of your key? I just you, saw that this morning. Um, you you yeah, take a picture it, of your key, and then if you lose your key, you can basically print a new one.
0: Which is a really cool idea, but kind of scary. A as little scary. As if it's not bad enough. But the, now you have a digital version of your
1: of your key. Yeah. Right.
2: and
0: well, you lose your phone somebody's got a key to your house yeah,
1: right exactly well yeah but if you lose the chance of
2: losing your phone is almost the same as losing your keys too even yeah. more so i think because you use your phone much more off you pick it up and put it down way more than you do your keys and your phone I'm-
0: also has your address on it right in the contacts. whereas your key if you lose your
2: key you're like i don't care it's just a piece of metal it's a little scary, but it is interesting that we are we are headed towards Star Trek replicators in the house.
1: I do like, uh, did you see the guys who were able to scan uh, vinyl LPs and then turn them into MP3 no! files? That
2: oh, my God. They've so gone a awesome. step further than are that, Are you too? kidding
1: me? No. Nope. And does it, it
2: sound good? Uh, no. Oh, okay.
1: But it does sound right. <laughs> That's interesting. Like, you know it's the, actually the LP because he can't see deeply enough in the groove to get everything but they're able to see enough to actually know what it was and one of the things they did with it was uh actually decode some of the old Edison cylinders because there are no players for the Edison that's cylinders right, they
2: couldn't be played
1: there was no way to play them that so that is brilliant they, and so one of the you know, one of the things they got back was Edison talking
2: so great
1: yeah, we're living in a science fiction it novel. Is like, things are getting pretty weird. Some they of the are. Stuff we they're
0: of. they're moving at such a fast pace, too. It's uh it's scary to try to keep up with it all. I uh I used to as a younger and more uh hapless youth, I would uh I, I felt like you could just always stay on the cutting edge. And it just seems like that cutting edge just gets wider and wider and wider and sharper every single year. Um and so to try to be up on everything is just Almost impossible at this point.
1: I, I've Almost. got two subjects I really want to nail down. One is a, and one is certainly talking about kids' engagement with robots. But can we talk about copter bots for a bit? Because those things are cool.
0: You mean like quadcopters?
1: Yeah, the and quadcopters that, was, that are now automated flyers. Like just the idea that we – it's one thing to program a device that rolls around on the floor or just <laughs> blinks light at you. But the dynamics of flying – it is
0: absolutely amazing. Uh, whether you view it from like a drone perspective uh, and uh, a single prop in the back and, and wing spread, or you do it in the, uh, you know, like quadcopter or, or hexacopters, um, they're absolutely amazing. And the fact that we have small enough technology nowadays to have full brains on the copters. And they can be miniaturized. I've built one that's the size of my palm. Um, I have one sitting next to me that's the size of my desk, and I have a bigger one uh, at home. But the fact that you can put full compute cycles, full computer systems that were otherwise massive um, on these things gives it so much power um, and autonomy that it's just the the next two years of that is going to be crazy. I know everyone's all up and crazy town because the media says that, like, oh, goodness, somebody's going to spy on their neighbor. Well, nobody does that. They really don't. Um, the the use of these is actually more for, you know, sort of enjoyment. You have the RC hobbyist that has been doing this for years, and is like, what are all these people caring about? But you also have the cool aspects where you can now connect up GPS input and GPRS data sets in order to do completely unmanned Triangulation flights where you can go to like a Google Maps and say, all right, I want you to take off from here, fly over to this point that I've just specified and you figure out that flight path and then fly over to here, take a picture and then fly back over to my house and land. And that can all be done locally and resident to the actual quadcopter. Whether it's done through a wireless connection that it has to the system with a bigger computer making the decisions in near real time over some degree of acceptable latency uh, or local to the device. If you have something is even it doesn't have to be super powerful. You could actually even drive this with an Arduino or you could drive it with uh, something a little bit more robust like a Raspberry Pi. That. You know, then it has its all local decision-making. Um, most of the ones that you either buy as a full kit, they come with some basic telemetry sensors. So mm-hmm. if a gust of wind comes, it'll detect that, spin the motors differently to create a stabilization effect and hold it in the exact pattern that you want. Wow. Um, and also, it they have nice APIs that you can set up above. And work with it, then you could say turn off motors one and two, but keep rotors three and four going and jump them up 200%. And so that way it creates a flip and then stop and then swap them the other way. So you can continue the flip through. Um, There's so many cool things. And when you start looking at that, like we've been doing of late, where you bring these into swarm ideologies. Um, Yeah, right. I know academia has been all in this. There was the recent presentation or TED talk that um, I can share the link with. It it should be in the show notes where the individuals showing the agility of these quadcopters, um, that some of the base principles that most people assume about Copters, uh, can be, have been debunked and are debunked in the actual presentation because, because of the local intelligence that it has. One of which is a quadcopter works because all four rotors are spinning. But if you cut off two of the rotors, it should fall to the ground. But what they've done is they said, well, we can understand that, uh, because these rotors are functioning and these rotors aren't functioning, we can make logical decisions about how to spin the actual copter in a tailspin to keep it in the air. And so now you're using the actual copter as itself to be its own rotor on top of the other two rotors to create a three-rotor system with only two rotors. Huh. And um and then you combine that, ironically, we were talking earlier about forget the rolling on the ground. They have uh there's demonstrations that are being done about collaborative technologies in real time between machine bots that I know everyone's starting to go, well, the Terminator device is almost here. And uh, those actually communicate in real time where um, one of the things that land bots have a hard time with is walls. If it runs up to a wall, it doesn't know what's on the other side of a wall, so it doesn't know if it can build a a mass to get over it because there may be another bigger wall that it can't see. Right, right. So what it does is it uses a quadcopter to look over it and then communicates back and forth, and makes real-time strategic decisions based off of the placement of the land bots in coordination with the air bots in order to do a coordinated strategy of how to address the situation. And from a from a military games perspective, it's crazy.
1: Yeah, but, that's um, very Skynet.
0: It is very Skynet, but I I love that because it's people doing things in the real world that that. Never in history have we realistically been able to do. It's always been human controlled. And at some level, the computer's latency is the the human being. Right. Um, and some basic decisions have to be made outside the latency structures of humans.
1: Chris, have you seen Atlas? I have. Yeah, it's, that's Boston Dynamics. Like you talk about who's building Skynet. It's Boston, Boston Dynamics. Dynamics.
0: It's it's funny because uh, it's the same name in Fringe. It's Massive Dynamics in Boston, and uh, it, that 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 group they have put out so many crazy things. They put
1: out the Cheetah yeah, as well. And
2: big Dog, Big All Dog. Right, tell me what you guys oh. are talking about. Is this so? You know, is this the uh, guys that you showed us on Mondays, Richard? I don't know. Big- They're the ones
1: who built Big Dog is the one that everybody knows, which is it looks like a mule and it's got four articulated legs, and they keep kicking it and it recovers. Right. One time they actually put it out on slick ice, and it it looked like a deer trying to stand on ice. It was amazing yeah, how we well that, balanced it is. Saw that but, video, yeah. But Atlas looks like Terminator. It's a, a an an anthropomorphic robot. Uh, It can handle uneven terrain. Its intention is to be used uh, for uh, dealing with bad during disasters, like having this machine that can get into human spaces and can rescue people. But man, oh man, it looks like Terminator.
2: Yeah, well, you know, with all the information that the government has on you now and we have drones and we can use them (laughs) and we have these guys, uh, should we be worried? (laughs) <laughs> we gotta yes you know no. teaching ethics is probably a more important thing to be taught in school is it not
1: well you know, because uh,
2: now that we have the power to do so much massive harm to each other i mean we already did but let's face it this really uh kicks up the invasion of personal space a couple of notches
0: I, that, this is a very tricky slope, uh, a slippery slope to, to walk through. Um, I think, one, I think the addressing the Terminator fear, um, the reality is, is it's not going to be a Skynet because the one thing that Skynet presupposes is, is anger and, uh, computers don't have anger. They have logic and, and logic is perfect. Now you, you're, so it won't be Skynet in the sense of Terminator, where they're just mad at the humans. Um, it'll be, it'll be more along the lines of iRobot, where the logic premise says that humans hurt themselves. So I'm going to stop the humans from hurting themselves. And the best way to do that is to keep humans locked into their rooms and, uh, <laughs> control them. So, and then that goes to the matrix of we put them into jelly
2: things and we take them out as power, but. You know, you, but, you know, a person still has to code that uh, that directive. Right. So, you, you know. see things more
0: like the war games scenarios uh, mm-hmm. of, of the old 1980s, where
2: it's going to be, you know, people being malicious. Uh, which yeah, the, that's right. And the computer suggests that you press the button and some idiot has to press it, right?
0: Right. Yeah. Uh, or, or the button does nothing and it just keeps the the human sitting <laughs> there feeling like he's worth something. Push All it right. again.
2: All right. We yeah. really got to get off this topic. This is, uh, we're so, I'm going so back far to- afield of, of uh, robots here. But
1: the cool part of robots is that the, this is the one piece uh, in the computing world that seems to engage the younger generation. Like yeah. software development. We all remember the thing that got us inspired to do software development but the only time I see ten year olds light up is not when I show them code it's when I show them my Lego mindstorms yeah or some kind I, I gotta think the copter bot just gotta grab them mm. and I want to do that
0: it it definitely does I can guarantee you that um, my my then to now three-year-old daughter, she flies our quadcopter like crazy and she loves it and she loves taking the props off and because there's a physical aspect to it and and she can touch and work with it and understand it. And uh, as we write code for it, it's an understanding that that is doing something that changes these pieces over here. Um, my friend, Matt Padwasaki, who I believe you've had on the show before, yep. um, him and I, we've been going around to high schools as part of the TEALS program. And uh, meeting up with the different high school groups and giving them these real pieces of the real world, whether it's showing them a 3D printer, just discussing 3D printers. Because believe it or not, these kids are – and I, I – Hedge calling them kids because I know in their mind they believe they're adults and I know they're in that middle stage and it's possibly the greatest stage because in their in their view of the world anything is still possible mm-hmm. and they're not limited to a, a myopic view and so they come up with things that I never thought anyone would ever question and they're asking and throwing questions out and it's just beautiful and I would encourage anyone listening please go into your local high schools and and offer support to high school students um, computing science disciplines are losing people left and right because there's that lack of interest and continued interest and we as as the existing and entrenched community we should be going back to and giving back like that um, but the best way to do it is to get yourself a quadcopter and take that into the high school um, the kids go crazy about it and they're like oh let me fly and They're used to, like, so one of the ways that I got people adopted to working with quadcopters is I connected an Xbox 360 remote control down to the control pathways for a Parrot AR drone. Mm -hmm. And so you can control the drone with a 360 controller, wireless controller. So we were out in a field driving the drone with the 360 controller. And literally everyone who stepped up was able to, within a couple seconds, run with it and do all sorts of cool tricks with it because they're so used to that interaction interface and it's so easy to understand for, for that generation that, that they can manipulate a crazy complex thing like a quadcopter in milliseconds and just and be able to do all sorts of fun things and taking that sort of love and giving it back into the community through uh, programs like the teals program. We also did a presentation at digi girls here in DC when it uh, was happening and um, those are amazing things. If, if you get a chance and there's an Tell event here it. you.
2: Tell us about DigiGirls.
0: One? DigiGirls. So DigiGirls is all over the world, I believe, at this point. And they, what they do is they gather up uh, local female high school um Students and that are interested in the computing discipline, and they bring them all together to be sort of energized and introduced to concepts that are present in the uh, broader sort of technology field. Um, I like to think of it as sort of like an accelerator or a supercharger for people who may be heading on the fence or, you know, still interested in computing. Uh, high school, whether male or female, or anything between, uh, is a very tough time for everybody. High school is the worst period of time. And so most people make their decisions about what they want to or want to try to become in that time period. And unfortunately, that's also when a lot of people view computing as something that they just sort of don't want to go into. And so I find the program uh, DigiGirls, which actually addresses not just high school discipline, but middle school as well, um, to be very important and critical to what... What I want to accomplish, which is having more people going into computing of all genders, all races, all sort of backgrounds and and differences of opinion to create that next generation that increases into the computing world rather than decreases where we're at right now. So DigiGirls is a great one. Um, there's many different initiatives. DigiGirls is actually backed by Microsoft. Um, they help out getting connected to not just technology individuals, but also to local government officials, which are very much, uh, you know, they care very much about improving these because the STEM programs in America have been on a decline. And by doing this, where we connect up sort of like a mentorship program of, of adults who are working in computing with, individuals who are interested um that creates a connection and it more importantly creates a lasting impression that hey this is something that i know some people say is geeky but it's really fun and i'm really passionate about it and i should stick with my passion and uh that that is vitally important for continued growth and and sustainability within the computing discipline
2: yeah absolutely
1: and it's just finding a way to get them engaged and to help them understand the programming side. I mean, I really want – if you're going to go down the, the copter bot thing, it's got to be automated. Like, you don't want to get them into the controller. You want to – no, fly it with software. Write the code. Well,
0: that's – you want to get them there, but you need to have – what I found is you need to have that first, like, 10 minutes of, okay, I just want to play with this really cool thing and then my fascination kicks in like how does this work how do we do this so what i'll do is i'll let them fly with the xbox controller and then show them be little bits of code not not massive bits cuz massive bits become overwhelming but since it's javascript the whole thing to write the from the xbox 360 controller down to communicating and talking out to the copter itself is 10 lines of code. So to splat up 10 lines of code and then, okay, when you press the A button, this piece is happening. And then they start connecting events to triggers and then you can easily describe computing in that sort of mannerism. Um, much like a lot of us grew up on like logo, where if I type in this command, the thing's going to go right. Um, the The little turtle is going to go right. And so right. then you start understanding how to go from those simple building blocks to creating more complex things. Um, And that becomes, from what I've seen, it becomes a great sort of catch-in point where they have something physical, they can now change one line and it becomes something different. And then they just go from there and keep iterating and making stuff different that then they get a very short instant gratification feedback loop of the change versus
1: the resultant. Nice. And, he, and that just sort of, you know, the question is, how do you get from there to building CRUD apps? <laughs>
0: so do you. Um, I mean, <laughs> or we do you? Talk, That's an interesting question. We did talk question. about Atlas, and uh, we've mentioned the Internet of Things, and that world is just getting started. So are, are robots the next CRUD app? Um, which it might be. I mean, how many CRUD apps does the world really need?
1: Yeah, um, yeah Would it be today, a bad thing to have a new generation of programmers who that's not what they want to do? That's not where they're focused, that, that they'll make those things as automated and as simple as those tasks just go away so they can focus on these new things.
0: And that, to me, would be great because I think one of the other things I sort of rally for or try to encourage is... Getting away from the self-fulfilling, self-gratification things like social media, where a lot of people mm-hmm. are just patting themselves on the back and we keep building new networks to facilitate this. And we keep building crud apps that just make ourselves happy versus actually changing the world for the better. Um, somewhere along the way, computing went from trying to improve efficiency and making things better and helping the people in the real world to satisfying our own vices and Getting us back onto the path of fixing the real problems in the world. Uh, cancer should be a solved problem at this point in time. Um, the disease issues, the, the concerns of epidemics. Uh, if we do, if we invested the same amount of energy resources and money that we do into social media, into cancer research, uh, perhaps life would be a little bit better off. Um, at least our quality of living would be different and it, Arguably
1: better, so. Well, and to be clear, I mean, cancer is in far better control now than it's ever been before. Just turns out it's a really complicated problem. But I agree with you; we could be doing more. I think there's tougher problems even than cancer to be tackled. Getting clean water to the whole, uh, all of the world. Mm -hmm. Hey, uh, yes. controlling the damage we're doing to the environment, like stopping the acidification of the oceans, way harder problems.
0: There is no lack of problems in the no. real world, um, but we are focusing more on how do I get 140 characters across the internet for everyone to see mm. that I just ate a piece of pie.
1: Nice. <laughs> it's always a sandwich, isn't it?
0: Oh, either that or a cat. I don't understand oh. why we are so fixated on the cats. They're so cute. <laughs> but I mean, we have, we have to, to that point, we have more answers to the question of how do I videotape my cat than we do to how do we have fresh air? And that's a concern in my mind um, and becomes ever more concern as, as, you know, I look at the world and the state and where we're going and, you know, having kids changes your perspective drastically. Don't get me wrong. Uh, that is, that realization when, hey, this person's going to live outside the bounds of my existence, so I can't just live for the now and when I'm dead, I don't care. I kind of care about that other spawn thing, um, so i got to make sure that has an existence, and then you start looking like, oh, they're going to have kids too, <laughs> and then that, i got to take care of that, and, yeah. um, y- you know, thinking about things in sort of a not here and now, building a CRUD app, and once it's done, I don't care about it, out, uh, getting to a better discipline of applying the technology the time the energy the capital the the technology the ideas the algorithms all of it to broader reaching better improving longer lasting benefits is something that I, i'm i'm super jazzed about and want to see wish i wish there were more people pounding that drum than the other drums
2: so chris uh, one last question before we wrap it up here what is, um, you know, everybody's got a project that's just out of reach and you, you know, your dream sort of project that you really want to be working on. What is yours? Oh,
0: uh, this is a good question. Uh, I don't have as quick an answer as I did with the $5,000. I must tell you
2: something. I know where I'm going to spend my money. Uh, um, let's see the, my most. Out- what do you dream about working on that you just can right now for whatever reason?
0: Uh, helping people, uh, by giving them my knowledge, figuring out a great way of transferring the knowledge and, and scars and slings and arrows that, that I've had to go through to get to where I am. Um, giving that to other people without them necessarily having to go through it. Uh, I help a lot of conferences get off the ground. Um, one of the things that really shaped my view of how the world should be was a seed conference talk by Jason Freed of 37 signals. He, he mentioned that, um, one of the things he's always tried to do is be Betty Crocker and not Bobby Flay. Mm. And Betty Crocker is known all around the world, um, because she gave away all of her secrets in the cookbook. She made cookbooks and sold cookbooks. And, uh, that industry of making the cookbook and empowering other people to not just recreate the same thing, but to recreate the, the, a similar thing in their own voice and their own vision is something that I care a lot about versus a chef or a line cook who makes one thing, and they may make it the best in the world, but only a small handful of people will ever experience that. Yeah. So for me, it's figuring out how to make the cookbook for technology and conferences and social aspects of technology – Um, so that way other people can do it, do it arguably better because I'm doing a horrible job at it, but do it better than I do and go from where I am and stand on the little bit that I've done and take it further, farther, better and try to encourage people to not just do that, but to do it in a way that they also create their own cookbook and, and have the humbleness of self to, you know, understand that somebody's going to come along and take it and make it better, and that is a perfectly fine thing um That's actually what's supposed to happen and not get angry about it so that's yeah. what I would say i I would love to be able to do as a project and I know you wanted a code
2: answer I know that's a great answer great it's very you're you're an inspiration, my friend oh I don't know you, about you you keep it up and uh we'll get out to robotsconf and check out robots weekly and and uh keep keep an eye on you, sir. Thank you very much for uh, joining us. Thank you all us.
0: for having me, and thanks for listening. And uh, go out and change the world. Uh,
2: sometimes stepping away from the computer helps you see, see things better. Absolutely. All right, thanks. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. Thanks for listening. And remember, Pluralsight.com is where you can get 200 free minutes of developer training online. Pluralsight.com.